Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today, July 28th, 2022, we continue our series, Chronicles of the Kingdom. Lesson 29, The Fire of God Comes. What a title for a message, The Fire of God Comes. How do we set up such a message? How do we even begin to describe what it is we're going to talk about today? Well, we begin talking about this topic by talking about our lives. We live in a world today where many believers have lost purpose and passion. In other words, your life is a drudge. You're just drudging through life. You're overloaded with responsibilities of life, with needs, with requirements that come from our society. And because of that, uh, you just begin to lose hope for things that you believe were to come. You know, hope has been delayed. And we talked about what hope meant last lesson. But hope is now faded from sight. And there are so many dreams that you had that you thought life would bring and freedom and instead you have bondage and boredom. I cannot tell you how many people that I've experienced going to church that are bored. They're bored. And I don't mean they're just bored because they think the sermon and music is bad. They're bored with life. They just get up, they work, they go to bed, they get up, they work, they go to bed, they pay bills. And it's no wonder if you live that kind of life, why non-believers live for Fridays and Saturdays. In other words, they're living for that weekend party. They're living to get drunk. I I know so many people here in El Paso, they live to get drunk on a weekend. And when you understand they get drunk on the weekend, because why? Because they have no purpose. They have no hope. You have no purpose. You have no hope. It creates desperate living, desperate longing. Proverbs 31, 4-7 reads, It is not for kings, O the mule, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Least they drink and forget the law, and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Now, 
uh, I reference this scripture because as I've been sharing this about what I know about people without hope, people with no passion and purpose, people that live to party on the weekends, what does this scripture say? It says it's not for kings to drink wine nor princes intoxicating drinks. And when we do our discipleship training, one of the very first lessons we teach is who are you? And we talk about being a prince, an heir of the kingdom. Church, we are called to be kings and priests. We are called to a higher calling in life. We're not called to mundane living. We're not called to just work and suffer. We've been called to a future and a hope. There are purpose to our life. We are to have passion for our Lord and the life that he has given us. The fact that we're not here by a mistake. You are not the mistake of your parents. Even if you were a child of a rape, you are not here by mistake. God has a purpose and a reason for you. That is something we should take comfort in. Not only comfort, but a passion that that I am truly here for a reason. And God loves me individually. I know there's some people, they try to talk about the love of God as just a generic mankind and that he's not into individuals. And if that was true, then I'd have trouble serving that God. My God is personal. My God loves me for who I am. He saved me out of my despair. When I was in the pit, he came and got me. It's very personal. And it's out of that intimate relationship that God wants to have with you that we find purpose. Going again, before I get too far off of this scripture, it says what? Give strong drink. To them that are perishing. And wine to those who are bitter of heart. Listen, that's why that's why people want to live to, to the party on the weekends. They are perishing. They are Their souls are dying. Their spirits are dead. Their souls are in the process of dying. And the only glimpse of heaven they have is the little party they're going to get this weekend. Because they're going to hell. You, they're going to hell. And although they may not believe it, and they may say all sorts of things, the fact is they're spiritually dead in their souls. In the very far reaches of their souls, they know. They know. Wine to those who are bitter of heart. Listen, Christians. There are many of you who believe you have bitter hearts. You have bitter hearts because your dreams, things that you had planned, have not come to what you believe they could be or what they should be. And you've developed a bitter heart and now you find yourself with strong drink with those who are perishing. You live for the party because life has handed you what life hands out to everyone. Bitterness. We live in a sinful fallen world and if you partake of the world, you receive the wages of the world, which is is death it is death and if you if you live like lost people you celebrate like lost people why because you're perishing verse 7 let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery 
that's that's what happens. You people drink and they just forget their sorrows. I'm just going to forget my sorrows and just have a good time. Unfortunately, I know many people that drink and they just get more depressed. I know there are some out there that can be happy drunks, but so many they just become more more misery more miserable. I'm gonna say more misery misery, but that is that's not an English word, that's not good grammar. They can become more miserable. And once you're in this place of misery, the idea of coming near to the presence of God in or among other people is not pleasant for them. When you get in this state, you begin not to want to hang around other believers who are celebrating God. As a matter of fact, once you get to this point, it's real easy that you begin to see other Christians as just pretending to play a role. You see them trying to pretend to be something that they're not because you cannot see the hope that they have. Of course, that hope brings peace and joy, freedom from depression. But because you've lost hope and you see other Christians, you you think they don't really have it because you don't have it. And so therefore, you believe they're faking. And that's what you see them to be. As a matter of fact, once you get to this point, often you begin to see other people around you as a source of your problems. You hear things like, if only my husband, if only my wife, if only my family or friends would do what I need, things would be different. I could feel good about things again. It's at this stage that many people begin to fantasize about abandoning their present life, abandoning their responsibility, and just running off somewhere. People before us is one of the most significant times of spiritual change in all known history. And I don't say that in diminishing history, such as the flood, Moses and the deliverance of Israel, or even Jesus coming to save us from our sins and turning our calendars over from B.C. to A.D. And that's not the type of change I'm talking about. We're in the midst of spiritual change because we're entering a season of the fulfillment of the purposes of God in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? The Apostle Paul understood the days in which he was living that that. This is a season of spiritual change that he was moving into, that he was living into. And here we are, roughly 2,000 years later, we are significantly further along in a spiritual change. What is this spiritual change? It is the fulfillment of the purposes of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ purpose? In his heart, when he said he's going to return to the Father and he was going to send another, a comforter to us, and that it was to our benefit. That that was a complete change for us. Maybe not a change for God, but it was a change for us. No longer being in bondage to darkness, 
We are now living in an age of freedom when the Spirit of God is living in His people and is moving on this world in all flesh. A supernatural, heavenly, spiritual reality has come to earth from heaven by the Holy Spirit who now lives in His people and is maturing us to become humble sons of God. That's worth meditating on. He wants us to become mature sons. Now when I say sons of God, please understand, I'm not saying, I'm not giving this divinity, we're all divine garbage. That's not what that's about. But we have been adopted. And if I'm adopted, I'm a son. You know, if, if, I, was, if I was physically adopted in this planet, I may not have the same DNA, but suddenly I have a family and I have a person that I can call mom and dad and legally they're, they're my parents. That's what God has done. He's legally, God has legally purchased us on the cross. He's purchased us from sin and death. He's purchased us from darkness. We're no longer sons of the devil. We are sons of God. And we are called to leave our past life behind. Now, when I say that, oftentimes, especially when you're in this point of drudgery where you feel like you've lost everything, this idea of going backwards into this self-denying type of lifestyle, um, trying to find the presence of God, it, it just if you try this, it just leads to more failure and more disappointment. I wanted, I wanted to emphasize something. Denying yourself and being selfless doesn't mean much if you're not seeking the Lord. What do I mean by that? It means that if you're denying yourself so that you can be better, you're not really denying yourself. It's, it's a selfish thing. I'm going to be selfish, therefore I'll deny myself so I'll feel better about myself. Does that, I know it's sort of a circular reasoning, but that's why it doesn't work. Because you're actually being selfish by denying yourself. Because you think if you deny yourself and you live this hard life that you'll somehow get happier. And therefore, and you see it's just a circle because you're really doing it for selfish motivation. You see that a lot of these manipulated messages about giving and there's lots of stuff out there about about money. It, it, it's crazy. Uh, the money is the root of all evil. Well, it is, and you see it by people who love and worship money. They love and worship material things, and they 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 tell you to give because if you give, you get rich because they want your money. And then you give because you want to get rich, and you you think that if well if I do this, I'll get rich. And neither one is biblical, and neither person receives what they need to from the Lord. No, what we need is intimacy with the Lord. Not a process or a religious service or some 12-step program. What we need is for the Lord himself to touch us. Let's find out what we need. Amos 3.7 Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophets. 
Well, what does that mean? What does that have to do about what I'm talking about? Well, easy. Let's look at what the prophet said. Because it says the Lord, you know, he's, he's going to reveal his secrets to the prophets. Well, the prophet said, Matthew 3.11. This is John speaking. John the Baptist. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. What is this fire? What is this fire? There have been many, many sermons on this. Many people trying to tell you what the fire means. So often, they'll often talk about it being a purification process that comes through repentance and it's burning you into holiness and, and, and things like this. And I'm not saying those things don't have some truth to them. But when you saw the explosive power of the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2, when you saw it again in Acts chapter 4, by the same people who were filled in Acts chapter 2, and they're praying for boldness, and it says the Spirit of God came and filled them again. And it says they went about preaching the Word of God. One of the things you begin to see about these people of God is they had passion, they had purpose. And that's right back where we began this lesson is how many people in the world lack passion? They lack purpose. You're caught in the drudgery of life. You need the Spirit of God to fall upon you. You need God to send His fire upon you. And when I say fire, understand this. Jesus is described in Revelation as having eyes of fire. A blaze of fire. It's funny. If I was to try to tell you to draw a picture of the word passion, what does passion look like? How would you describe passion? And not do it in a sexual way. I'm talking about how do you describe passion, not sexually. Because if I say that, most people just immediately flood into some physical sexual context. How would you describe passion outside of a sexual context? Fire. Heat. When people are passionate, they're, they're, they're heated. They, you, you have a passionate discussion. It's a very hot topic. It's a very heated discussion. You see, Jesus' eyes are described as flames because of his passionate love. That he has. It's the greatest mystery. The love of God. It is a consuming fire. That's why he's a jealous God. He has a very consuming love and passion for us. It drives the Lord. The Lord is driven by what? The Lord is driven by what the Lord wants. I know he's not a God and doesn't think like he's not a, a God that's made by human hands. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't. He, our ways are not his ways. He's so much higher than us. And to say, well, God has needs. 
it sounds he doesn't have needs. And yet he chose to love us. He chose that. He created that. He did that. And when he chose that, he also chose the mission before the foundation of the world. Christ died for us. He chose that he was going to redeem us even before he created us. Why? Because he foreknew. He knew that if he made someone like us, this would happen. He knew that. But he knew that he knew in that moment that he could also save and made that determination that he would do it. That's why he made us. He already made the determination. I'm going to do this. I'm going to love these and I will, I will do this for them. I know it's crazy to understand, but he did that. And therefore, when I start talking about purpose and passion in life, we are made in his image. He has a purpose. He has passion. He knows the future. He has things there. That's why we have the hope of the future because he's already there. And those are things that is in us because we're made in his image. And when we suddenly lose these things, it's almost like losing the, the meaning of life. We, we, we lose the ability to truly live. That's why Jesus is the life. Without him, we don't really have life and we just are aimlessly going about existence in darkness, depression, without hope, without him. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 37, I'm not going to read it. I encourage you to go read the chapter if you do not understand what I'm talking about. It's understood this is the Valley of Dry Bones. It's where Ezekiel is taken up and he sees a valley and it's full of just skeletons everywhere. And God asked him the question, can these dry bones live? Can these dry bones live? And of course, the Ezekiel says, well, only you know. <coughs> Excuse me. I am struggling with a sore throat. But he says, only you know. And the Lord tells him to prophesy to the bones that they shall live. And he prophesies to the bones and they begin to rattle and they begin to shake and they come together. And then the Lord tells them to prophesy again and the muscles and, you know, all the tendons and everything begins to grasp on, onto the bones and then the flesh goes on the bones and then there's the bodies. And then the Lord breathes on these bodies and a great army rises up. A live army. An army that is alive. I I share this because we're living in a day when God is once again breathing upon people that are dead. And I don't mean like in graveyard deads. I'm talking about people, non-believers, believers, believers You've lost your dreams. Life has not gone the way you think it's gone. And you're living in this death. And you're out there drinking and partying and just doing things because you have no hope. God is once again breathing on people like this and changing lives. He's changing lives. He, he is the resurrection and the life. 
So when we talk about the fire of God comes, we're talking about the fire of God bringing life to those who are living lifeless. And what is he calling his prophets to do? Remember, I read that, that scripture out of Amos about what? God doesn't keep secrets. He always tells his prophets. And I'm not talking about some, when I say prophets, right now I'm not talking about some specific gifting, calling, one out of a million type of people. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Right now I'm talking about we as the people of God are called to prophesy. What is to prophesy? It's to declare the intentions of God. What, what is it that God wants? What is it that God desires? With that understanding that that's what a prophet is to do, that's what a prophecy is to do, is you're declaring the intentions of God. Every believer is called to declare the intentions of God. And what's God wanting us to declare to this world? He wants us to say live. To those of you who think your, your lives have been destroyed, your dreams are over, that you can't change the world, God wants us to speak to that message of death and say live. Just like what he, he told Ezekiel in chapter 37. You know, you know, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath to breathe on these slain that they may live. Man, man that's, that's, that's powerful. Prophesy to the breath. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, in Genesis, God breathed on Adam and he became a living man. In John chapter 21, when Jesus appeared, resurrected before them, he, it said that he breathed on his 12 disciples, or his 11 disciples. He breathed upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now, here in this, in Ezekiel, the prophet is told to prophesy to the breath. Listen, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out to these people and, quote-unquote, prophesy to the breath. In other words, we're supposed to speak life. To dying world. And for those of you that are living in drudgery, I'm supposed to speak life to you. I'm supposed to speak and prophesy that God's fire would touch you. Now is the day. Now is the time. You don't have to live without purpose, without passion. All you have to do is turn to the Lord. Not turn back to a system, to 12 steps, not to some sort of religious ritual. You just have to turn your eyes to the Lord and receive Him. Receive His Spirit. You just simply ask and believe. And the fire of God will come. He has promised it. He has promised that if you cry out to him, he will come. He is, he, if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. There are no other requirements. God is, he wants to be intimate with you. The fire of God comes with intimacy with him. Not with an organization, not with some service, not with you know, denying yourself. Now, I say that, yes, to, to be a disciple, there is this, I have to deny myself and live for God. Yes, there's, I, I need to read and pray. But, you know, none of those things is what brings you into right relationship with the Lord. You just turn to the Lord.
I often use the example, you know, every carpenter, every construction man will have hammers and, and screwdrivers and power tools. But I, just because you have a hammer and a screwdriver and a power tool doesn't make you a construction worker. It doesn't make you a contractor. There are lots of people with hammers and they can't build anything. Listen, don't get caught up in the thinking when we're talking about the fire of God that I'm saying don't read your Bible, don't go to a church or hang out. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. You can't get the fire of God from those things. But when you do have the fire of God, of course you use those things. Again, if, if you were a, a, a construction worker, well, you use tools to build things. You know, getting the fire of God just requires you calling out to the Lord. Once the fire of God is upon you and you suddenly have him and the hope has returned into your life and you have purpose and future, you suddenly move forward towards that purpose and future. Now, now you have it. Now you have a reason to live. Now you have these visions and dreams you want to see fulfilled. And in order to fulfill them, you pick up the tools that are around you and you use them. Prayer, Bible reading, you know, those, you pick those up and use them to fulfill your mission, not to keep the fire going. The fire is the Lord. The fire of God comes because you want him. Father, right now, I pray for those listening to this message, God, that, that may feel like they're trapped in drudgery. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. That you begin to free them, God, from the lies of the enemy. Father, I pray right now that you begin to touch them, that you begin to draw them to you by the power of your spirit, God. By the power of your spirit, God, I pray that you begin to, to set your people on fire, God. And what I mean by fire, I mean a passion, God. A passion and a zeal for the purposes, for the, for the love that you have for them, God, that this love would suddenly be ignited in their heart and in their life, God. The, 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 Father, there's, there's so much more, God, than what this world has to offer, God. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd begin to ignite that, God, on the believers that hear this message and they love you, God. I pray that you'd ignite them, God, so that others can see that, God, and they want what they have, God. They'd be visible, God. And for those that don't have it, God, that are just living in this trap thing, God, and they're, they're, they're living for the party, God, but on the inside, they're dying and they're rotting, God, and, and they, there's darkness with no hope, God. Father, I pray that you'd be a light that would begin to shine forth into their life, God. That, Father, you begin to draw them to yourself, Lord. That, Father, you'd change their life, God, that you just ignite them, God, with your fire, God. Yes, God, a fire that does. It burns out sin, God. It makes them holy and pure, God. It makes them stand in your presence, God. It makes them a sign and a wonder to the world, God. Father, we pray, God, that your fire would bring life, God. That you'd bring life to, to, to the dead, that are walking dead, God, that are going through this world, God. Lord, I thank you, God, that you love us, that you've not called us to live such mundane lives, God. But, Lord, you've called us, God, to be world changers, God. We're world changers, God, even through what looks to be mundane, mundane tasks, God. We're, we, we, we do what we do, God. We wash feet and change lives, God. Father, I thank you, God, that Lord, you, you take things the world can't understand, God. They can't see, they can't understand these things. God, I thank you that you take those, God, and you flip the whole world upside down, God. 
and you save people because you love them, God, and you are passionate for us. And God, I pray right now that your spirit would be released, God, that you would release your power, God, upon your people, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Chronicles of the Kingdom. If you want to listen to more of the series, I encourage you to do that. You can find that at christianimpact.net. I also want to thank you for your prayers. I have been ill this week and my voice is rather rough, as you might have been able to tell through much of the recording. I had to stop many times, clear my throat. I appreciate your patience and prayers. Again, check out our website, christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless. <laughs>